Let's go ahead and stand together and sing this morning. I searched the world, but it couldn't fill me. A man's empty praise and treasures that fade are never enough. You came along and put me back together. And every desire is now satisfied here in your love. Sing it out. Oh, there's nothing better than you. There's nothing better than you. There's nothing. Nothing is Let's sing it out. I'm not afraid to show you my weakness, my failures and flaws. My failures and flaws. Lord, you've seen them all, and you still call me friend. Because the God of the mountain, because the God of the mountain is the God of the valley. Yes, he is. There's not a place your mercy and grace won't find me again. Oh, there. Oh, there's nothing better than you. There's nothing better than you. There's nothing. Nothing is. Better than you, Lord. There's- 
has nothing Nothing is better than you You have nothing holding you back anymore. You're no longer a slave. We'll sing about that this morning. You unravel me with a melody. You surround me with a song of deliverance from my enemies. Till all my fears are gone. I'm no longer, I'm no longer a slave to fear. I am a child of God. I'm no longer a slave to fear. I am a child of God.
Father, I thank you for your promise that you will never leave us and you'll never forsake us. God, I'm thankful that you are good and that you're good all the time. God, I pray that our worship this morning has been acceptable to you. And God, as we go into your word, Father, I pray that you will anoint our ears and anoint our hearts and anoint our minds to hear what it is that you would speak to us today. Father, we love you. We thank you in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen and amen. Give somebody an air high five. Let them know that you are glad that they are at Gateway Church this morning. I can see the people who don't like cold uh, because you waited for it to warm up a little bit. Uh, before, when I woke up this morning and uh, looked at the temperature, it said it was 45 degrees. How many people like 45 degree weather? Amen. It was wonderful having to wear a coat. It was great. You get to pull out your sweaters and your sweatshirts. I mean, there's nothing better than a sweatshirt, is there? A hoodie where you can just be comfortable and just, uh, I'm excited about fall. And um, we're glad that you're here this morning. If you're a guest, thank you for being with us. Uh, we are so honored and privileged that you have chosen to spend uh, part of your Sunday, the first day of the week, with us here at Gateway. And uh, if I didn't get a chance to meet you before service, I would love to meet you afterward, just to connect with you and, and let you know how glad that we are that you're here. Uh, last week, we started a series uh, on healing. And we talked about how that it's God's desire to heal our land. We know that we live in a broken world. But God gave us a template that said, this is how that you bring healing to your land. And we talked about 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14. And we realized that he said, if my people, God isn't looking to the world. He's not looking to politicians. He's not looking to the government. He is looking at us. My people called by my name. And he gave us the template of what we needed to do to bring healing to our land. And last week I asked you, and I hope that you did this, and if you didn't or you're just learning of this, I would ask that you do this. Uh, put a reminder on your phone for every day, the same time, to take three or four minutes and just pray 
for our nation. Uh, Often we are found and we are guilty of simply complaining and doing more complaining than we do praying. And, And that passage of Scripture doesn't say, if you'll just complain enough, I'll heal it. He said, no, if you will pray. And so I ask, as a follower of Christ, to pray for our nation. You see, it's God's heart to heal us. We have to understand that. We have to to know that he wants to heal us. He wants to heal not only our land, but this week we're going to talk about that he wants to heal our soul. He wants to heal our soul. In a few minutes, we're going to be looking at a a parable that Jesus told in Matthew chapter 13. But first, I want you to to see what John wrote in 3 John chapter 1. Verse 2 says, The New King James Version says, Beloved, I pray that you may prosper in all things and be in health, just as your soul prospers. The New International Version puts it this way, Dear friend, I pray that you may enjoy good health and that you may go well with you, even as your soul is getting along well. Here John is letting us see and know that there's a correlation between good health and a fruitful life. Uh, It's proven that sick souls produce sick bodies. Anxiety, fear, depression, all of these things, uh, they provide things to us and in us, and they hurt our health. It causes heart conditions, diabetes. The Bible says if you'll get your soul right, if you'll get your soul right, where it needs to be. You can live a whole and a fruitful life. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 9 says this, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Now, the word for salvation here is actually sozo. And, and that has multiple meanings. But one of the meanings is, is that health, the health of of your being. You see, when you got saved, you started your faith. When you became a follower of Christ, you started your faith. But the Bible says, and here Peter says, the end of your faith, the salvation of your soul. Well, what is that talking about? The health of your being. You see, when, when, I, when you first got saved, you probably still had some junk in your life. When you made that decision to follow after Christ, Everything just didn't completely go away. There was still some some junk in there. There was still some stuff that God needed to work on and that he needs to work on. And your soul, it affects your body on the outside and it affects your spirit on the inside. Joyce Meyer says that it's the battleground. It's where the fight is. You see, God not only wants to save us, the start of our faith, but he wants to heal us, our soul. He wants us to keep growing. He he wants to bring healing to us. In Exodus chapter 15, uh, we read about how that God has just delivered the, the children of Israel out of bondage in Egypt. And he did this with a great deliverer, Moses. And when they get to this point, he brought them out of bondage, but God isn't done with them. He knows that, that he needs not to just bring deliverance to them, but he needs to heal them. He needs to to heal their souls. And and so the Bible says that they came to a place named Marah. 
And they're telling Moses, they're saying, Moses, we're thirsty. Moses, why did you bring us out here? Moses, we'd be better off back there because at least we had food, we had water. And so they come to a place of Mara and they see this water and it's beautiful. They love it. They're so excited. They get to it and they bend down and they take a sip of the water and it's bitter. You ever had something that, that, that you look at on the table and it, and it looks so good? You think, man, this is going to be awesome. And you're so excited, your heart's racing, and, and you take a piece of it and, and you eat it, and it's like, ugh. It looks so good. But in reality, it wasn't what you expected. Well, that's what happened to the children of Israel here. The Mara actually means bitter. And so they took a, a drink of this water and they, and they started spitting it out and they said, this is nasty. And they started complaining again. And, and so Moses grabs a part of a tree, a stick, and he throws it into the water. And in that moment, the bitter water became sweet. In that moment, they were able to drink of this water. In that moment, that water brought refreshing to them. And I believe this is a, a picture of, of God bringing us out of bondage into salvation. God has delivered us out of the bondage of sin with another great deliverer, not Moses, but Jesus, the Savior of the world. And he brings us out of salvation, and he brings us to this place, and he says, you know what, you need to look at yourself. The water could be a, a representation of, uh, a water gives reflection. We look at ourselves. God said, look at yourself. There's bitterness in your soul. Even though you're out of Egypt, even though the children of Israel were out of Egypt, God said, I, I need to get the Egypt out of you. And in order for God to bring healing to our soul, he has to remove those things from our past. He knows that the, the bitterness and the things of your past, that you can't keep living and sustaining yourself that way. You can't keep living and sustaining yourself with the past and, and what has happened. You can't live off of those waters. Those waters are bitter. They're not going to give you the, the fruitful life that God has for you. You can't do it with bitterness in your soul. And in this same chapter, Exodus chapter 15, God, for the first time, reveals himself as Jehovah Rapha. He says, I am the Lord who heals you. I am your healer. And he's telling us, after I save you from your sin, I want to heal you in your soul. Now, we believe that God heals he heals the spirit, he heals the soul, he heals the body. But today we're specifically talking about healing of our souls. And when Moses threw this stick in, this part of the tree, I believe that's a picture of the cross and what he did for us. He wants to heal our soul. So in Matthew chapter 13, Jesus tells the parable of the sower. And he gives four scenarios. He said that there's some seed that fell on hard ground and it didn't produce. 
there was some seed that fell on shallow ground. And it produced for a little bit, but it had no root. So when the sun came out, it scorched it. Couldn't get the nutrients, so it died. There was some seed that fell on thorny ground. And as it fell, the life was just choked out of it. It said it sprung up from beneath the soil. And then there was some seed that fell on good ground. And he said that seed brought forth 160, 30-fold. And this morning, I want to look at three types of soils. And I want to compare them to our soul. You see, the condition of our soil equals the condition of our soul. Jesus is saying, if you want to live a productive life, then you have to deal with the condition of your soul. The soil of your soul needs to be healed. The first kind of soil that I want to talk about that represents our soul is a hardened soul. A hardened soul. Matthew chapter 13 verse 4 tells us this. And as he sowed, some seed fell by the wayside. And the birds came out and devoured it. Another version says on the footpath. In other words, this was soil that had been compacted. Have you ever been out walking somewhere maybe in the woods and, and you can see where the trail is, where everybody walks? There's nothing growing, there's nothing, and it's just hard. That's what happens in our soul. It's a picture of, of our soul where we've been walked on, trampled on, abused, where others have taken advantage of us. And our soul is hardened. And God's word, that seed, it can't produce because there's so much hurt. There's so much heartache in your soul. I mean, you're saved. You're trying to, to follow after him. Uh, but, but you just, you, you can't grow. Because your soul is hardened. Exodus chapter 11 tells us, four chapters before, about the children of Israel. And it says, when they were in Egypt, they became bitter. It says that, that they made them work so hard that they became bitter. So when God brought them out of Egypt, that bitterness just didn't go away because it was still there. And you may be sitting here this morning and you can say, how could my soul not be hardened? How could I not be bitter? I've had people abuse me. I've had people reject me. I've had people who've just abandoned me, people who have walked on me. I mean, it happens. It's reality. God said it's time. Actually, in Hosea chapter 10, verse 12, that's what he says. It's time to break up the hard ground. It's time to break it up. It's time to be healed. It's time to address the issues. It's time to forgive. It's time to move on. It's time for us to allow God to do a healing in our life. It's time for, for us to, to stand up and say, I'm tired of this hard ground in my heart. Because here's what happens. If you have hard ground in your heart, 
you begin to project that onto other people. The hurts and the things in your life, they bounce off of you, off of this hard ground, and they bounce onto other people. I mean, the reality is hurt people hurt people. Rejected people reject people. Whatever it is that's been projected in your life, you're going to project that onto other people. Look at the relationships around you. And if you begin to, to project what has happened to you on other people, you know that there's some healing that needs to be done. There's some healing in your soul that needs to happen. There's some hard ground that needs to be broken up. It's a hardened soul. Second type of soul is a shallow soul. A shallow soul. These are selfish choices that we make. These are us looking out for ourselves. We have no depth. Matthew chapter 13, verse 5 tells us about this soil. It says, Some fell on stony places where they did not have much earth, and they immediately sprang up because they had no depth of earth. The world has taught us and has ingrained in us to look out for number one, to look out for us. We are always thinking of ourselves, not others, and not God. You can't have something deep with God with shallowness. That's what happened here with this soil. It said that, that it was so shallow that it couldn't grow down deep and it couldn't take root. If you want to have something rich with God, if you want to have something that has depth, that's what God wants for you. That's what he wants for me. You have to, to get outside the shallowness of yourself and get out of the shallowness in your soul. In verse 24, chapter 15 of Exodus, we see this with the children of Israel. It says, and the people complained against Moses saying, what shall we drink? All throughout the time that they wandered in the desert, throughout the whole time, they were always only concerned about what their next was. God, what are we going to drink? What are we going to eat? What are we going to wear? They were always thinking about themselves. They were shallow. God, what are you going to do for us? Instead of thinking about what they could do for the God who had just saved them. Instead of thinking about what they could do for the God who had just brought them out of captivity, brought them out of bondage, they were always thinking, God, what about me? They were shallow. And God says, if you want to deepen yourself, if you want to, to fix that shallow soul, that you've got to put me first, that you can't be always thinking about right now, the temporary. There was a man in the Bible who got bitter with the choices that he had made. It's a story of Jacob and Esau. They were twins. Esau was born first. So he had the birthright. He was the leader. He, he got more because he was the oldest. He was a hunter. He was a man of the field. And so one day he was out hunting. Jacob was cooking. And Esau came in and he was hungry. 
and it smelt so good. And Esau said, Jacob, can I have some of your soup? Jacob said, well, no. He said, what do I have to do to have some of your soup? He said, give me your birthright. Give me your birthright. And in his shallowness, in that moment, he thought, well, what good is this birthright if I'm going to die of hunger? What good is this birthright if, if I don't make it past today? I'm hungry. My flesh needs something now. So he exchanged his birthright. He exchanged his destiny that God had for him for something temporary. And he would always blame others for his decisions. You see, a, a shallow soul will blame others for the destiny that they forfeited. It's always somebody else's fault. You never want to admit that, that you made the wrong exchange, that you gave up your great destiny, what God had for you, for something temporary. God says, I want you to be fruitful and have a fruitful life. You can't be shallow. You can't be deep. I was thinking about this and, and something that, that maybe we sacrifice or forfeit. You know, all of us, we have this great idea we want to get out of debt. I mean, that's the American dream, right? Let's get out of debt. Man, if I didn't have all this debt. And so you, you have a car, and that car, you say, I'm going to drive that car till the wheels fall off. I don't have any car payment. And then you see a shiny car go by, or you're watching TV, and, and you see, all the, for me, it's all the technology. And in that moment of weakness, you say, well, then you start making excuses, right? Oh, that, that, that old clunker's not going to run much longer. We're going to have to do something anyway. And in that moment of weakness, you trade your dream, your destiny of, of being debt-free. And you trade it for temporary pleasure. And that pleasure you usually lasts about a month. Maybe if you're lucky, they'll give you 90 days. And then that first payment comes due. And then the temporary pleasure's gone. The new, and by the time you make your first payment, the new car smell is gone. And you're thinking, what did I do? Shallow. Forfeited it. For the next five years, if you're lucky, most of the time it's 84 months. You can finance a car like a house anymore. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 15 and 16 tells us this. Looking carefully, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness spring up cause trouble. And by this, many become defiled. Lest there be any fornicator or profane person like Esau, who for one morsel of food sold his birthright. Exchanging something temporary. Instead of keeping what's permanent, your destiny. Thirdly, it's the cluttered soul. The cluttered soul. These are negative emotions that you carry in your life. 
God doesn't want us to have covered, a cluttered soul filled with negative emotions. Matthew chapter 13, verse 7 tells us about this. It says, And some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprang up and choked them. They just sprung up out of nowhere. Everything was, was going great. It looked like on the outside that that, that, that thing growing was, was beautiful. But then out of nowhere, that stuff that was under the soil sprung up. It choked the life out of that living thing. In our life, that happens. Things are going great. Everything looks good on the outside, but you have those negative emotions. You have those things that, that are lying under the soul. You have fear and anxiety and, and anger and depression and suspicion. And they begin to, to choke the life out of you. I mean, there's, I, I talk to so many people and, and you begin to hear their story and, and the things that they've been through and you realize that there's so much negative emotion and, and so much under the soil, so much in their soul, things that they have been through. And they'll be going great and then all of a sudden they fall off the face of the earth. They can be going great and then you get a phone call that says, I'm done, I've had it. It just springs up in the relationships. It springs up in their jobs. Their emotions take over. And this happened to Moses. You can read over and over in the Bible. I mean, Moses had an anger issue. Moses had a, had a problem with his anger. And he looked like he had it all going on, but there was a time that he became angry and he killed an Egyptian. And there was a time that in, he was in the desert and he went to the mountain to get the Ten Commandments from God. And, and then he came down and he became angry and he threw them, broke. He had to go get them again. There was a time that, that he was out there and, and they were complaining and arguing and, and, and saying, we were thirsty. That shallow soul looking out for number one. We're thirsty, Moses. And God tells him, tells him to speak to the rock and that it would give water. Moses just didn't want to use his voice. He said he struck the rock. His anger, it sprung up again. And because of that anger, it choked off a portion of his destiny. Because of, uh, of the way that, that he reacted, it choked off a part of his life, a part of what God had for him. And as followers of Christ, we have to guard ourselves against these things we have to guard ourselves against the hardness of our souls and, and the shallowness of our, our souls and the clutter of our souls. It's there. Not too long ago. Uh, how many people know that garages are for cars? That's what they're made for, right? They're not for your treadmills or, or, or not for... Uh, all the junk that you don't have anything else to do with. And I used to be one of those people. When we first moved in our house, we'd never had a garage before. And I was one of those people. Everybody in our neighborhood has a garage, but everybody parks in the driveway. And every winter, I would look and say, those people are so stupid. Because they're out there scraping, freezing, have to get a pay money to get a remote starter. And you would drive by and their garage would be open, or you would walk by, and it was filled with so much junk. 
And I would say, that disgusts me. Twelve years later, no, no, eight years, whatever. However long we've been in this house, eight years, I think. Uh, I walked out into the garage one day, and I realized I had become one of those people. I could barely walk through the garage, much less put two cars. And I came back in and I said, next week we're getting a dumpster. And I'm not talking about one of these. I'm talking about a big one. Ten yards. I'm tired of this junk. We put it in the driveway and our neighbors were looking. They said, we thought you were getting a new roof or something. I said, no, we're just getting rid of junk. And we started pulling junk out of the garage and, and pulling it out of everywhere and, and throwing it away. We'd be like, man, maybe I should keep this. I went through my closet, got rid of three garbage bags. And I didn't throw those away. I gave them away. But I would look at something and I'd be like, oh, I may wear that someday. And then my wife would say, you know, once you give this away, you can't get it back. She's worse than I am. And I began to, and I said, yes, I know that. And I just shoved it in the bag. Got rid of junk. Somebody walked in our garage and said, man, this is awesome. How did you do this? Because it was so cluttered. About three weeks later, just a couple of days ago, I walk into the garage and it's filled with junk once again. I walk back in the house. I say, what is all this stuff? Well, that goes to Goodwill, and this needs to go to there, and this needs to do that. and It's got to go. It's cluttered. It happens in our soul. We have so much stuff in our soul. And we come to a point in time, we say, okay, God, I want you to handle this, take care of it. And we give it to him. And we begin to, to walk in freedom for a little while. And then all of a sudden, it begins to fill back up. It begins to become cluttered again. God does not want that in your life. Your soul is not made for that. What does God want in our life? Matthew chapter 13, verse 8. It says, but others fell on good ground and yielded a crop, some a hundredfold, some 60, and some 30. You begin to look at this and you think, okay, what well, is God just, is he just dishing out? Is he prejudiced against, you know, and, and some people have a hundredfold, some people have 60, some people have 30. But I believe this could be telling us that this is the conditions of our soul. Uh, some of us, we're only willing to deal with so much, so we're only going to get 30-fold. Then maybe some of us, are we're, we let God deal with a little bit more of us. We may get 60-fold. But you want to start maximizing your potential? You want to have all that, that God has for you? You let him deal with it all. You let him deal with the hardened, your hardened soul, your shallow soul, your cluttered soul. You say, well, that sounds great, but how do I do that? Very quickly, I want to give you three soul-healing steps. First, for the hardened soul. 
the first thing that you need to be willing to do is you have to forgive those who have walked on you. Those who you feel like have caused your soul to become hard. Those uh, people who have caused you to project your hurt and your pain on other people. You see, we have it backward. We think that when we, when our soul becomes softened, that's when we forgive. But that's not the way it is. You can't wait for your soul to soften until you forgive. It has to be the other way. You forgive to soften your soul. You see, forgiveness isn't a feeling. It's an act of faith. And they tell you, you know, that, that time heals everything. That is a lie. It doesn't. Why does the Bible tell you not to go to bed with anger in your heart? I mean, if time healed everything, it would be like, well, just sleep on it. But you know what happens? If you go to bed angry at your spouse, you're going to get up angrier. Because overnight, I mean, you have dreams about your anger. And your soul just becomes harder and harder. You think that going to bed and that you'll wake up on the right side of the bed. Well, it'll be better when you get up tomorrow. No, you have to deal with it. And when you begin to deal with it and you begin to forgive, then your soul begins to soften. You see, Jesus, when he was on the cross, he said this in Luke chapter 23, verse 34. He said, then Jesus said, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they do. Father, here he is, hanging on a cross for something and for actions that he did not do and were not worthy of death. But he looks at the people who were responsible. And he didn't say, God, when you soften my heart, I'll forgive them. He said, no. He said, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. You want to know when, when you've really started to forgive somebody? It's when you move from accusing them to defending them. Jesus was talking to his father, and he was defending their actions. He said, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. If you want your bitter life to become sweet, if you want your hardened soul to become soft, the first step is to forgive. How do you deal with a shallow soul? You serve. You get outside of yourself and you serve. You stop thinking about yourself and you serve. You stop thinking about yourself and you begin to think about others. Jesus did this on the cross as well in verse 43 of Luke chapter 23, when he said, And Jesus said to him, Assuredly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Here he is hanging on a cross, but he's not worried about himself. He's worried about the person beside him. Here he is hanging on the cross. He's not worried about himself, but he's worried about his mom. John, will you take care of her? I can't do it. 
have to serve. You have to get beyond yourself. You say, well, how do I serve? Uh, I believe that God doesn't waste anything. And you've heard me say that repeatedly. And I believe that, that the same place that you've been hurt, the same pain that you've had, that you can serve out of that pain. If you've been through a, 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 a bad divorce, then God can use you to help someone else. If you've had, uh, been through pain in your life or, or you've had abuse or, or you've been addicted, or uh, God can use you to serve out of that. You begin to, to help other people. And when you begin to serve, something happens. People talk about, you know, I want a deep relationship with God. I want to go deeper in my relationship with God. But what they'll do is, is they'll say, well, you know, I need to study the Torah and I need to know what this Hebrew word means and this Greek word means and I, and I need this Bible study and I need that Bible study because I want something deep. That's not what I'm talking about. The deepest relationship you will ever get with God is when you get outside of yourself and you start serving others. That's what Jesus did here. He said, I'm not worried about me. I'm worried about other people. I want to serve Lastly, how do you get rid of a cluttered soul? You release it. You release. How powerful is that? I can't tell you the freedom that I felt when I got rid of those clothes. You think I'm being crazy, but I'm being 100% serious. I used to walk in my closet and it was overwhelming. I mean, clothes were wrinkled because they were shoved in there so tight. Trying to find something to wear, it was just, it was overwhelming. Well, should I wear this and, and try this on, try that on? Honey, does this make me look fat? Husbands, if your wife ever asks you that, don't answer. But it was overwhelming. And when I gave away all those clothes and now I can walk into my closet and I see four pair of shorts instead of 40, there's freedom. There's freedom. I released stuff. I let it go. You want to get rid of and fix your cluttered soul? you've got to begin to release some stuff. You've got to understand and realize that your soul isn't meant for fear. It's not meant for anxiety. It's not meant for worry. It's not meant for suspicion. You know what your soul was meant for? For the peace of God. That's what it's meant for. Those things cannot be your ruling emotion of your soul. The ruling emotion of your soul has to be the peace of God, the shalom of God. Because negative emotions, they paint a different outcome than the peace of God. Every other emotion other than the peace of God will take you under. It will stress you out. But not the peace of God. 
I think I've told you before, but my dad gets really nervous watching sporting events. And you can look at him and his face is getting red, his blood pressure's When he's at my house, it's actually become a little bit of fun because we'll sit on the couch together and we'll be at the, the climax of the game in a, in a big situation and I'll look at him. i say, you wouldn't be watching this if you were at home, were you? You know. Because see, he found a secret a long time ago and he would start recording the game. And then after the game was over, he would see what the outcome was to find out whether that he could watch it without having a stroke. And if they lost, if the outcome wasn't what he wanted, there was a great little button that you could just go down and say, delete. And I hate to say it, but as I get older, that thing that I feared most, I can feel it creeping in on me too. I'm not that bad yet, but if, if my team loses, I will not watch SportsCenter, any newscast. I won't get on Twitter. I won't get on Facebook. It stresses me out. But my dad found the secret of being able to watch the game and let peace rule in his heart. And that secret was that he knew how the game ended. Same thing is true in our life. Luke chapter 23, verse 46 says this, And when Jesus had cried out with a loud voice, he said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Having said this, he breathed his last. How was he able to release his spirit? How was he able to say, God, I have peace about this? It's because he knew the outcome. He knew that, that his father had promised him that on the third day that he would raise again. He knew that what he was doing was for the benefit of all mankind. He had peace about the situation because he knew the outcome. And whatever your negative emotions are telling you, they're telling you you're not going to make it. You're going to die. God says, let my peace be in your soul. Let my peace rule. Last verse, Philippians chapter four, verse seven. It says this, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Everything that your negative emotions are telling you, this says the peace of God that we can't understand. Let it rule. Let it rain. Let it be in our hearts. Let it be in our minds. Let it be in our souls. Your soul wasn't made for negative emotion. It was made for the peace of God. With every head bowed, you may be here this morning and you say, Pastor, Pastor, you're, you're talking straight to me. And Pastor, if I didn't know any better, I would think that you were reading my heart. 
that you were looking into my soul. The reality is, is that God sees your heart. God sees your soul. He knew you were going to be here this morning. He knows what's going on. He knows that you have a heart and soul. He knows if you have a shallow soul. He knows if negative emotions are, have cluttered your soul and that's what's ruling your life. And he said, this morning, I want you to exchange all of that for my peace. If you're here this morning, you say, Pastor, I need the peace of God in my life. I'm going to ask you to raise your hand. Thank you. Thank you. I need peace. I need peace. Thank you. Peace that passes all understanding. Peace that we can't explain. Peace that no one else can give us. Thank you. Anyone else? Pastor, my heart's hard. My soul is hard. I, I've, I've got some hurt. I've got some pain. I've got some situations. I need to break up the hard ground. Is there anyone else? Thank you. Listen, there are, there are some Sundays, and this is just me being 100% transparent. There are some Sundays when my alarm goes off that I wish I could call in sick. And then there's other Sundays that I can't wait to get here. That was what this week was for me. As I began to pray and study and, and look at what God had placed in me, there was such an expectation in my soul because I knew that life is filled with people with hard souls, people with cluttered souls, people with shallow souls. Would there be anybody else? God wants to do something in your life this morning. I'm going to ask you to stand. We do things, seems like, different on a week-to-week -week basis. Sometimes I'll call you to the altar. Sometimes I'll just tell you to pray where you are. The only rhyme or reason is that for that is just what I feel God's speaking to me. And this morning, as Nick plays, begins to sing, I'm going to pray. And, and as I pray, if you raised your hand, if you really said, God, it's time, I'm going to ask you to, to do something that maybe is a little bit out of your comfort zone. But if I didn't believe in, in what I'm saying 100%, I wouldn't do it. As I begin to pray, I'm going to ask you not to hesitate. If you raised your hand or, or if you didn't, but you're struggling, we have the mantra that, that life is better together. The Bible tells us that, that if we agree and touch anything and we pray, that it shall be done. 
And so we've got a prayer team and, and we want to just agree with you. We want to pray with you. We want to believe with you. Do not allow the negative emotion of fear to rule in your life. God wants to speak peace. So as I pray, I'm going to ask you, get out of your comfort zone. Come down and let us pray with you and let God do something in your life that no one else can do. Father, I come before you right now. God, I thank you for every person here. God, I thank you for your word that you have spoken into my heart and into the lives of your people. God, I pray this morning as as we begin to, to seek your face, God, you see every person here that that has been dealing with and struggling with issues, problems, situations. God, I pray that your peace that passes all understanding will abide in our hearts this morning. God, there's nothing that I can do. There's nothing that anyone else can do. But God, we know that you can. You can. And God, I pray right now, May the spirit of peace fill the hearts of your children. And may we leave here different with our souls softened. With our souls ready God, do a work. Precious cornerstone, sure foundation, you are faithful to the end. We are waiting on you, Jesus. We believe you're all to us. Let the glory of your name be the passion of the church. Let the righteousness of God be a holy flame that burns. Let the saving love of Christ be the measure of our lives. We believe you're all to us. Only Son of God sent from heaven and hope and mercy at the cross you are everything you're the promise Jesus you are all to us let the glory 
mission of the church let the righteousness of god be a holy flame that burns let the saving love of christ be the measure of our lives we believe you're all to us you are holy you are holy holy christ the king and holy holy and holy Christ the King worthy and worthy you are worthy you are worthy Christ the King and worthy Father, I thank you for your peace. God, peace that we can't explain. God, peace that we can't even describe. But God, I pray that it will be evident in our lives. God, every day that we wake, may we release all the junk that the world tries to place in us. 